0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard the TV Pilot's License, flight number 45, with service to Miami. We ask that you please fasten your headphones at this time, secure your podcasting device, and remember, if you are a single man from Miami under the age of 80, please press your call button as the Drug Enforcement Agency has some questions for you about your luggage. <laughs> welcome to the TV Pilot's License. My name is Jeff Kerbis, joined by Max Singer and Rich Inman. How are you boys doing today in the same screen? I know. Uh,
1: I went to the supermarket and I responded to a classified ad. And now I live in Rich's house.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for seeing my ad. I'm going to keep oh, doing my. that. <laughs> well, gentlemen, this week we are talking about possibly one of the all-time greats, actually considered one of the all-time greats of television, and that is Golden Girls. Uh, And while we may have some thoughts about this show, it appears we have a new co-pilot... A board to talk to us about everything from wedding day etiquette to the appropriate ways to mourn. Um, our guest <laughs> this week is an actress and writer who is currently on strike. Remember, we are a WGA strong podcast over here. Uh, remember to support your du- the WGA and please welcome <laughs> Celia Finkelstein. Celia, yeah. thank you so Hi. much for joining us. Hi, how thank are you?
2: Thank so you? much for joining us. Thanks for having me. <laughs>
0: We're so happy to have you here. Well, Celia, you brought Golden Girls to us. Uh, we were talking about it a We've little bit. have never heard of it before. Yeah, no, we had yeah. no idea what this was. Someone told me who asked me who Betty White was, and I said, oh, you know, from the proposal? Uh, <laughs> no, I've completely... <laughs> from the proposal? <laughs> but with that being said, why did you bring the Golden Girls uh, to us? What's, this, what's your relationship with this show like?
2: Uh, I... This show was like my mom, which like no shade to my mom. She was a fine mom, but like, I just like grew up on this show. It was like every Thursday night we would watch this show. I have very distinct memories of just, we all, that's how, well, we all, my mom and me like sat there and watched that show. I grew up on it and it feels like home to me. Those women feel like home to me. And I actually had the, I had the incredible good fortune to meet someone who ran the show for the last four years it was on and I said that exactly that like this show was like my family and it made me want to be an actor and um he said he gets that all the time <laughs> like I'm not alone in that feeling they're just it, it created a, a fan base that feels attached to it in a really deep emotional way
3: there is something, you know, I was, I was actually talking to my to my mom about this, uh, this episode that we were going to do, mm-hmm. and she was shocked when I told her how many of my friends consider this their favorite TV show. Like, still, it is, yeah. like, it's a show that finished, you know, when we were all very young, mm-hmm. and there's no reason that it could have, like, except for reruns and syndication, there's no way that we would have really seen the, like, the gravitas of the show, like, when it was on and new. And yeah. so many people saw this finale and it's like, it's it's crazy how long the legacy of the show has lasted.
2: Yeah. And how I feel like it's still is. getting new fans even now. Like I feel like people have yeah. still started watching it. I think it's incredible. I think, I mean, it was a show ahead of its time, you know, in its time. So I think it still certainly there are parts of it that are pretty problematic, but for the most part, I think it's like a really thought, thoughtful, forward-thinking show.
1: Yeah, the passing down of Golden Girls between generations and into like a new younger generation is maybe one of like three or four good things the internet has ever done. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Well,
0: super excited to talk a little bit more about this show. But before we dive too far in, for folks that are here for the first time, maybe to listen to Celia or maybe have just found our podcast, Max, do you mind telling folks at home what this podcast is all about?
1: Here at TV pilot's license, we break down and analyze the pilot episodes of some of TV's most famous, or in some cases, infamous shows. Uh, We look back on these pilot episodes, how they came to be, and decide if they're effective pilots and making us want to keep watching these shows, if they can be made today in cases of spinoffs, so they deserve to come on back. We've got a whole bevy of episodes wherever you get your podcasts from, so go stream us on your favorite podcast provider, go watch us on YouTube to see our smiling faces. And if it is your first time flying with us, then welcome aboard today.
0: And Rich, what is your question of the week? Well, I don't know what
3: you're talking about because we've never covered a bad show ever once. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Still Seventh Heaven fan club over here. Um,
2: Oh my God, uh, I love Seventh Heaven. (laughs) (laughs) Oh
3: boy, we could have really used you last week.
2: (laughs) What a chaotic, messy show I love (laughs)
3: Uh, so I, you know, I'm super curious because I think one of the, I think one of the really nice enduring parts of the show is showing like similar age uh, female friendships that kind of endure past like uh, the age of their like relationships, like their romantic relationships and stuff like that. Is something that has like I think it's just been indicative of like solid friendships together, whether it's like. You know uh shitting on each other or just like overall support like blanket support and just like you know the the ups and downs of of friendship uh knowing that uh in mere decades uh florida will be no more Uh, (laughs) (laughs) where where do you and and with the rise of rent and mortgage costs and interest rates and everything like that we may all have to live in a house like this anyways so (laughs) where do you what what part of the country do you guys want to retire to together (laughs)
2: uh does it have to be america i my plan is to get the hell out of here yeah no i'm going to the french countryside and actually all my female friends and i have a plan a loose plan of exactly this like when our husbands (laughs) die we're gonna go and get a compound somewhere in france (laughs) and die together
4: i love
3: that (laughs) oh it's a jamestown fantasy okay (laughs) (laughs)
1: Okay. max what about you uh, so I, I watch a lot of History Channel, and one of the shows that I've come to like is called How the States, States Got Their Shapes. Oh, God. Uh, and on that show, I learned that Maine is the Saudi Arabia for water. So as we, you know, encounter more and more uh, ecological disasters and, you know, the inability to live in certain parts of the country, I'm going to where that sweet, sweet fresh water is, baby so uh, you can find me. <laughs> In uh, the nice coastal part of Maine, not the spooky Stephen King part of Maine, with all my friends hanging out in the house and you know eating eating lobsters,
4: <laughs> that drinking sounds the water. It
1: sounds like we're all going to get murdered in these, these <laughs> plants. <laughs> Rich, what about you?
3: Oh boy i uh, I actually have a global warming plan to move to Maine or to Minnesota. So this is actually this is going to work out quite well um uh, so fairly well california i will be going to the home of target and uh and what what's what juicy lucy's stuff like that and yeah. or i'm gonna go up uh and live in the uh the stephen king murder mansion with max yeah
0: <laughs> you know, rich you can uh you can live in my guest room i'll uh yeah. I'll make sure it's uh ready for you uh just <laughs> give me 20 years um uh, so <laughs> As far as myself, um, there is something ever so appealing about the countryside of Canada for some reason. Am I Canadian? No. But, like, I just look at it and I'm like, that looks really nice and peaceful. Very much like Maine, except I'm not in the United States. Uh, So I think that's a large benefit. Is it like a handmade tale fantasy for you? Maybe Iceland. Iceland sounds pretty dope, actually. But if we're worried about global warming, um, that might not be there. (laughs) Uh so, on, <laughs> but Rich thank you so much for that question of the week. Uh before we get to our synopsis, just a quick word from our sponsors. Now, uh yeah. let's talk about <laughs> our uh show. So, of course, we're talking about Golden Girls. If you want to watch it before you listen to us, you can find it on Hulu. Uh but a quick synopsis from myself. For mature women live together in Miami, and experience the joys and angst of their golden years. Uh, Max, I think that that requires a little bit more backstory about how this show was made.
1: Of course. So today we're talking about the pilot episode for The Golden Girls, titled The Engagement, which originally aired on NBC September 14th, 1985. And we're going to be talking about the show's creator and writer uh, by the name of Susan Harris today. Harris is a legend of TV, a recipient of the WGA's Patty Chayefsky Award for Achievement in TV Writing, and is a member of the Television Academy Hall of Fame. Earlier on in her career, she worked for shows like The Partridge Family, as well as Norman Lear's All in the Family and its spin-off, Maud, uh, also starring Bea Arthur of Golden Girls. And her work on Maud really launched her into prominence. She receives the uh, Humanitas Prize for her work on the episode Maud's Dilemma, which really centered on the topic of abortion, kind of the first time in American pop culture this was brought to a mass audience in like a primetime sitcom type of way. And from there, she goes on to create two very successful shows over at ABC, uh, the sitcom Soap, starring my old high school voice teacher, Diana Canova, as well as its spinoff, Benson, a very uh, big, uh, long running smash hit. I can't wait to do so. But we, we have to do soap real soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll give you all the Diana Canova stories. Uh, so we're going to now shift ahead a little bit from Benson. And I want to start off with a quote that Harris gave to the New York Times in an article that originally uh, was published on September 22nd, 1985, a week after the show's premiere. A woman's worth is tied into what she looks like. At 82, Cary Grant could still be a romantic lead. But on television, a woman over the age of 50 is cast as an axe murderer. So, in 1984, NBC's Upfronts to promote their upcoming season. Comedian Selma Diamond from Night Court, who played one of their bailiffs, does this sketch where she creates a joke show called Miami Nice about old people sitting around playing Pinochle.
3: <laughs> Miami Nice.
1: <laughs> and... Then NBC Vice President Warren Littlefield and President Brandon Tartikoff, our boy B. Tartis, they get (laughs) the idea that this joke could be more than a joke and they might be on to something. Littlefield is quoted as saying, you're looking for Magnum and he's impossible to find, but we could cast Miami nice. So they bring in TV producers Paul Witt and Tony Thomas and they have them pitch an idea that they have for this concept. And as Witt and Thomas recall... Uh, we don't like your idea, but we'll give you one, which may be the best example of just like four white men pitching a TV show of all time. <laughs> Take some women around 60. Take some women. <laughs> Society has written them off. Jesus. They've said they've oh, over, they're have they over the hill. We want them to be feisty as hell and having a great time. Uh, we want uh, and having a great time. So wit doubts that this show could be made. And Tartikoff calls his bet and gives them an automatic 13-episode deal before a single idea or word has been what written on this. What the fuck is TV? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> this, is what, this is what they're striking against. Yeah, sir. so I'm, I'm, <laughs> getting, I'm getting back to the main topic. Don't <laughs> worry. So Paul Witt uh, is married to Susan Harris and brings her on to write this pilot idea. Harris, after doing the runs of Soap and Benson, where she basically was writing every single episode of these incredibly lengthy runs by herself, is trying to pivot away from network TV. She wants to get into features. But she she loves the idea. Um, she wants the idea to write grown-up characters that weren't necessarily seen on TV at this time. Uh, Harris claims that she'd never really been excited about network ideas before this show and has gone on the record as saying it's kind of pathetic this show was television's baby steps. But she just felt like she had no choice but to write it. Um, I'm gonna end this with a quote from Betty White on the show. White says, "Golden Girls proves that women don't self-destruct at a certain age," uh, <laughs> and I hope in the next oh, yeah. hour or so we can prove Betty White true in that. Well, For but sure. uh, For one, sure.
3: Like these insane backroom deals, uh, and and like it, it makes it feel like the only way you can actually get. Anything done in Hollywood is if like you're on a bunch of cocaine and you're very loose with your money, or you can get a job by accidentally running over an executive's dog in like Trader Joe's parking lot. It's like, it's, it is like it has to be like this bizarre, meat cute, or just like a frivolous throwing away of money. There is no in between.
2: Well, I also want to say, and I I don't know, I have sadly don't know a ton about this sort of golden age of television, but this for me highlights a lot of why we're striking and I promise not to talk about the strike too much but like (laughs) these executive these executives these CEOs Brandon Tartikoff Warren Littlefield actually did give shows a chance Mm
4: -hmm. yes they Mm -hmm. were
2: like this sounds probably unmarketable but like let's just see and like the backroom deal of it all is a little annoying like yeah but like but also the throwing we, some
3: women around. <laughs> right, exactly. We're
2: just take some old ladies and give me a show. But like but I think there is something really there was something really special about people who enjoyed television, cared about television, and were like, I'm interested to see where this goes. So let me just give you a show and mm-hmm. see what you could do with it, as opposed to like, what's the most amount of work I can get out of you for the least amount of money? And also like, I don't really care if the show's good. Yeah, it's not just it's not make, about my
1: IP, yep. how do we market? How do we right. sell? It's just let's just go all in on an idea yeah. that we believe in. Let's get the best people possible to execute that idea and let's just make it happen. Yeah, talking yeah. about
0: Golden Girls Funko Pop collection. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like I mean, if we didn't have people like B Tarts uh in the 70s and 80s yeah. and or- like nineties, um Like doing shows like this or taking chances, we don't have the podcast that we're on right now in all honesty because there's a lot of TV that was made that inspired others to make amazing television that we – are seeing today and yeah, I, I don't folks think like you, Celia, totally, are fighting for.
1: I don't think totally. asking people who like TV to be in charge of making TV is that big of an ask. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> it seems like it should be a pretty straight line. But yeah, you know, t- should, uh, what do I know? know?
1: If you want to run a network, the number one prerequisite should be, do you enjoy watching TV? <laughs> right.
0: I- right. I'm not going to talk about a certain executive from a certain giant that uh, has Uh, One of our co-hosts' names. Uh, But, you know, we'll uh, just uh, leave it at that. Oh, I actually Um, don't know who that is. (laughs) Then it's you. Oh, no. (laughs) I like TV Um, sometimes. Oh, my God. You're on a TV podcast, Rich. You co-host a TV podcast.
3: (laughs) I know, and famously, I'm wishy-washy on a lot of our...
0: (laughs) I'm the idea. (laughs) Well, before we get too off the rails, um, let's talk about Golden Girls, right? The the reason we're all here. Um, Celia, thank you for being a friend. Being just... (laughs) An iconic song as it is. Oh, should yes. we all
1: stand for our national anthem?
4: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. When you hear this song, being the fan that you are of sure. the show, what is the what are the emotions you feel? Because I'm, I will admit, this is the first time I've seen this pilot. I'm really upset about saying that out loud. Yeah. But I, wow. I instantly already have this emotion of like, oh yeah, I'm. I'm just going to relax on the couch now and just like yeah. let my four new best friends tell me about their day.
2: I mean, that's exactly it. I mean, like that song, I know that song backwards and forwards. Uh, I love that song. I, <laughs> I had a golden girls, slash Steel Magnolias, that's another podcast, themed birthday one year, and that yes. was just on repeat at the party. <laughs> I mean, it's like the warmest, like lo- most lovely, one of the most lovely theme songs. there. It, back in the days when there was a theme song that mattered, it, it makes, it fills me with like, you know, warm fuzzies instantly. I love it. I love it.
0: Absolutely amazing. Max, we do a lot of TV shows where there's like a cold open, right? Mm-hmm. To set the tone, like I I hate that I'm referencing this, but I think of Big Bang Theory and that uh, (laughs) very uh, ridiculous scene in the sperm bank. Uh, But what did you think about a show like this not having that cold open to introduce us to some of the characters that we were going to be
1: on this journey with? I mean, it feels really welcoming. It almost feels like an overture to when you're seeing... A musical like it welcomes you in it kind of sets like what the environment you're going to be in is you get like a feel for the music and this is a song that you know kind of like how we talked about the golden girls earlier where it's the thing that's found new life this is an older song that had a different vocalist come on and it found new life years after it was originally released and i think that's almost fitting for the legacy of the show itself and i appreciate when yeah, you have like a, a tone set for you before the first scene even happens. It kind of just like eases you into it. Yeah, and and also
3: you know, I, I don't think in this entire pilot we leave the house at any point. So I think I think doing a cold open would really only be super relevant to, to the like the nature of the script if they actually had different setups, different scenes, and stuff like that that they were trying to do. But you literally only go from kitchen to bedroom to living room the the entire time, which is, like, really awesome. A
1: show that I can relate to. Yeah,
3: exactly. This is our, this is our pandemic crew.
2: I, just had a, I had a thought, Max, to your point about the song Having New Life and the sort of legacy of the show. I also think those actresses, uh, those they were stars um, on Broadway 100%. and in mm-hmm. shows before. They certainly, and I think now, might have been sort of... Um, relegated to really crap sort of mom roles had they not been given this second their you know this this new uh life on this show too i do think there's a lot of renewal feelings of renewal that sort of flow through this whole show in so many different ways it's, i just had never thought about that
0: that's such a lovely point point. and like as we are introduced to we're introduced to our first lead of this show uh b arthur playing dorothy Coming in, reminding me of every teacher I ever had in middle school (laughs) or high school in South Florida, (laughs) of being so upset that she has to teach, uh, but somehow still showing up to work every day. I mean, how do we think that this sort of sets the tone of these characters, like choosing to have Dorothy be the first character we meet rather than it being Rose or one of the other uh, main leads of this show? Yeah,
3: when you find out that, like, she doesn't even own the house later on, it feels like it's her domain immediately. Like, uh, obviously, when we meet Rose in a second, she feels, like, completely lost all the time, and that's why I love her so much. <laughs> um, but, but Dorothy's comment about how all the uh, the girls are bald and the boys have, like, green hair and they're with nose rings and stuff like that. I was like, I want to hang out with every student that she's teaching right now. <laughs> like these are, all these people just became my friends.
2: Yeah. <laughs> They sound real cool, actually. I know.
0: <laughs> it's like, yeah, I've been to Silver Lake.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, in this scene, we meet Coco as well. Um, what, I guess, since we do normally only care about the pilot, but Celia, what is Coco's deal? Is Coco living with the ladies? Is Coco just there? Coco, is- nev-
2: Coco never appears again.
0: Oh, oh good.
1: Uh, Coco's gone
2: after the pilot.
0: So glad I did not get overly invested
1: in Coco's arc. What do you mean? He he makes enchiladas rancheros. He (laughs) he provides a shoulder for the women. I think he wears a bathrobe. These are all traits we know about Coco.
2: Right, right. I mean, yeah, I mean, he never appears again in the series, not the pilot. But, like, he, yeah, no, I don't know Coco's deal. He makes enchiladas, and he's uh, nice to the women, and he, I guess, made them iced tea at some point.
3: They do insinuate that he's gay, right?
2: I mean, he's definitely gay. Okay. But like, I don't, I think they just, from what I gather from the reading I was doing about it, it just, he was kind of an, a fifth wheel that wasn't going to yeah, ever really like in, uh, integrate into the... Something
1: that I read about this, and I'm glad we're kind of talking about this character being phased out right away, is that I guess there were people who believed that they needed to still have one... Male part of their ensemble. It's so interesting. And then the show's pilot tests so unbelievably well with audiences, particularly, you know, B. Arthur and uh, uh, Betty White and all of them, that they realize, oh, we don't actually need this element in here. We're going to promote this fourth character to a main player and we're just going to roll with this. So they kind of like realized in the moment. Oh, this show may not be what we thought it is. Let's like reconceptualize it moving forward, and for the best, I guess. I'm also wondering, sure. you,
3: because uh, I for thing for research that I've read about the show, Estelle Getty had a uh, a massive problem with doing any jokes that would be punching down. She would refuse to do any gay jokes, any jokes about domestic violence, any jokes about like people's weight and things like that. And I wonder if having you know, a lot of the nature of the joke writing is them teasing each other. I wonder if that would have not meshed well with her, uh, you know. And and in the yeah, pilot, they I actually know. do make Estelle Getty, like, like really kind of... Yeah,
0: they make her the vicious one. Yeah, they anyone. make her the
3: most vicious one, and it's so interesting that, like, she rebutted that so so heavily.
2: I mean, she's still so pretty, like, her kid, I mean, they sort of couch it in, like, she had a stroke, so she says whatever she wants. Yeah. She mm-hmm. is the most, um, I would say, like, I'm trying to think of a word that doesn't convey like a negative connotation because I don't think it's negative. I think it's a delight. But she's sort of the one who just sort of says shit
1: throughout the series. off the cuff. She's a stroke that has no filter is wild 80s TV exposition if I've ever heard it though. Exactly. I (laughs) I know.
2: (laughs) Well, my thing that you know, that they're like, well, when you had your stroke, or when she had her stroke, she shut off the front of her brain. No. Um, but I think like uh, that's interesting. I'd never heard that about the punching down. I do think the show like had its, um, moments of making jokes at people's expense, but it felt like it was done with love rather than yeah out of some sort of malice. So that tracks to me. Um, I just more, I more than anything, I don't think, uh, Coco being removed had anything to do with uh, his sexual sexuality, I think it really had more to do with just like the mechanics of the show. Mm-hmm. The, it being a four-hander is so much better
4: and yeah. the relationships
2: between those women, he felt like a like a spoiler in a way. It was kind of like why, I don't know why this fifth person is in the room.
3: Also, I'm he- absolutely going for that job <laughs> right now. You better believe I'm dropping everything in my life yeah. to go and make cocktails for a bunch of four, four yeah. women Hell in yeah. Miami. That sounds fucking amazing.
4: I mean, <laughs> yeah. Why not? So, Why not?
0: One of the things that I have in my notes is after we meet Rose, um, after we meet Blanche, the tone of the show, and I was trying to put my finger on it because there's just so many jokes going back and forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, these women are going right after each other and like don't miss a beat does it almost feel like a stand-up show for the most part right like in the idea of you have these witty one-liners and you have the audience like you have the canned laughter in the background almost even though it was recorded in front of a live audience Mm -hmm. it just it has that vibe of like we talk about laundry folding shows this is not a laundry folding show you will miss like five great jokes as you're just trying to okay. find the right sock to pair with the other. I, socks. I think
1: it feels like a pilot in the sense of, you know, up top after we meet Dorothy, there is a chunk of time dedicated to each of the other women. There is a segment just for Rose and how Rose plays off of Blanche. And we get to meet this character. Then, um, then Blanche comes in. We get a section where, you know, Blanche gets to play off of Rose and Dorothy. We get to understand her basic things. And we do this a lot throughout the episode where yes, there is an a plot that continues through, but more so it's a chance for you to get to know these characters. And so I think that it, it has to be so punchline heavy because we're getting to know as much about them as we physically can in these like 20 some odd minutes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so a couple of things. One, we have a couple of different art, I would say that our A plot is that Blanche has been proposed to and is trying to figure out whether or not to say yes uh, to this man. She's only been dating for a week. But I would say that a B plot in this instance is Dorothy dealing with the concept of being old um, Mm -hmm. for the most part. And we get like these very subtle hints and we have B, Arthur just. Acting up a storm and commanding, you know, the metaphorical stage in this Her instance. Responses
1: of, to all of these lines, uh, or I like think every Betty White response to one hundred percent had me like, in stitches. Oh my
0: god, she's so
3: good! I, I, I know we did the quiz for the Sex in the City episode, but uh, I am a hundred percent a
0: Rose. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rich, you have some time because we do have a in-flight question. Yeah, that we'll no, no, yeah. a little Great. bit more about that as well. Um what do we think about this amazing house and why is it no less than $10 million in Miami? <laughs> right now? <laughs> I,
4: think,
3: I, I, I love that they didn't shy away from the cocaine mention. like I'm almost immediately, like in the first like minute and a half of the show, it's like no one under the air, uh, no one under the age of 80 or like is not a, in this town is not a Coke smuggler or something like that. Well,
0: you say that, but like one of the things that I really appreciate about this is I think if you were to explain to someone about the concept of the show of like, hey, four older women that are supposed to be anywhere between their 50s to their late 70s uh, are living together in a house. The jokes that you might suspect are going to be like, oh, it's a very family friendly show as far as some of the jokes like this was shown on. We'll talk about how wild the show slot for this was. It was Saturdays at 8 and 9 p.m. Oh, God. But the other thing that sort of I appreciate is they just told jokes. They didn't care how old these actresses were. They just were like, that's a really funny joke. Put it on the page. We have four amazing actresses that can tell the joke no matter what.
2: I think that's part of why it's so beloved for so many, too. Like, I mean, I I grew up on this show. I'm obviously older now. I, those jokes, you don't grow out of being, you don't grow out of dirty jokes. You don't grow out of, you know, juvenile jokes. You don't grow out of like taking the piss out of your, out of your friends. And I think there is a sort of idea on television that, or up to this point, maybe there had been, but like, there's this idea that like older women don't talk like that, or like older women aren't Fucking, but they are, you know, like, and so what I really loved about this show was that it leaned into these women as human beings as opposed to ideas of older women.
1: There's and a, oh, go ahead.
2: No, I was just gonna say throughout the series, that is true. Like, their jokes are tight, their jokes are dirty. They, you know, they don't shy away from anything, um, you know, beyond what like parameters were set by broadcast, uh, net, you know, network. Uh, there, there's a standard. moment in
1: the show where Estelle Getty is telling a joke, and I, I like I said the punchline out loud because it was this old <laughs> Borscht Belt comic joke that like I knew <laughs> from growing up with like a family that was really invested in that in that scene of comedy. And yeah, there's just this willingness to tell jokes and to like use these performers' you know deliveries as like such a strength that it's not trying to tiptoe around anything it's not trying to avoid anything it's just crafting the best show Mm -hmm. possible and it's such like a great example of ensemble comedy because like every single one of them is a character you find yourself saying i am a this i am a that you find yourself becoming attached to people the the joke clip is incredibly high in this show maybe one of the highest we've covered Mm -hmm. and everyone's funny Even the supporting characters, even the people who are in one scene in this show are characters and they're humorous. And I feel like that's almost something that isn't really seen in a lot of comedies. We're trying to like blur genres and blur lines. It's just so refreshing to see a show that is just funny all the way Mm -hmm. through from the top of the call sheet to the bottom of the call sheet. Everyone's there to tell jokes.
0: So let's talk a little bit about one of those additional just funny people on this show. We're introduced to Sophia, played by Estelle Getty. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the ages of these women in a little bit. But on first blush, what do we think about? Sophia just coming in like a bat out of hell. Her her home has just burned down to the ground, and we cannot trust her as a narrator because she cannot hear for shit. So she just says what she thinks everyone has said. Um, Celia, what what like knowing Sophia a little bit better than the rest of us? What are your thoughts when you see Estelle Getty for the first time?
2: I mean, she really does just come in like a freight train. Uh, and I actually had the thought um, that I think this is probably true for Susan Harris as she was writing it. But I feel like it's probably true in the writer's room, too, that when they got to like Sophia, they were like,
3: ah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: yeah, yeah, yes. you know,
2: it was just like, <laughs> let's just fucking go. They were jo- <laughs> it was just like joke after joke and like no, no holds barred. It just felt like the show took on a whole new life the second she entered which I feel like is probably also why they were like thank you Coco we're moving away from you uh-huh. or bringing her yeah, on
4: because
2: she just felt like I, I just can imagine that moment in the writer's room when you get to like pitch jokes on Sophia so I think she was just a delight from the second she uh she came on that I I you know And then the relationship between her and Dorothy was instantly clear for me, instantly Mm -hmm. uh, connected. I think she's, yeah. I think she also
3: serves as just like a perfect voice of reason for everyone else, Mm -hmm. everyone else in the show kind of transitioning into old age and her just being like, yeah, that's what it is. Get over it. I have done this. I it, it actually it, it gave me a little bit of comfort of knowing that like I'm probably going to feel this in my fifties and sixties, and I also am probably going to feel like Sophia in my eighties. Like that, that's a hundred percent. Like I don't know. It's just like very comforting to me that she came in and just wasn't going to be sentimental about her old age. She's just going to be who she is.
0: Yeah, yeah. So- Sophia reminds me so much of my. Polish straight out of Poland grandmother like if they chose to be like Estelle um we know you're not Polish but we want you to try this out a right. little bit just just for us like and maybe it makes the pilot maybe it doesn't I would have just felt so at home and I would have been waiting to like you know it it just it gives that vibe and I say that because I I want to talk about how old the women of the show were when they filmed, <laughs> because they don't really talk about it at all in the pilot. But it's something that I find so remarkable in that B. Arthur and Betty White were both 63 when the show premiered. Um, Rue McClanahan was the youngest on the show at 51. But then Estelle Getty, who plays B. Arthur's mother, <laughs> was a year younger. then be Arthur in this. (laughs) And that, like, one, I thought the makeup that they did for her was fantastic. Like, it did a very good job of hiding that, you know, you see photos of her at the premiere and you're like, what what the fuck happened here? (laughs) Um, But then at the same time, you're just like, wow, like, that's just how talented the four of them were. Mm -hmm. And the Dorothy... Uh, and Sophia relationship was that we felt that like, oh yeah, we've all been with our older parent and been like, yeah, yeah this is what it sort of is like.
2: Yeah. That's so fascinating. I mean, I, I know that, I knew that um, Rue McClanahan was the youngest. I didn't know she was 51. That's really young when yeah. I think about it. But I also like think about what those ages look like now yeah like what people look like yeah. at 63 now and it's like i'm my mind is a little bit blown i,
3: I there's yeah. also the element of like there's a lot of like widowing in this uh mm-hmm. in this and i'm like these are some young ages for these husbands to die <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And i think it would be a fun it would be a fun dark twist that all the at all of them at some point mar- murdered their husbands i think that'd be just like <laughs> yeah. a fun, fun backstory for them all to have
2: Fun crossover to have Murder, She Wrote. Jessica Fletcher. From <laughs> and
0: Crime. This is a show that reminds you that if you are tired of doing your skincare routine to keep your skincare routine <laughs> up, uh, that is, if you were like, oh, five steps is too many. Nope. Do each and every one of those steps. and
1: <laughs> It also teaches you that it's okay to make fun of your friends' routines, as B. Arthur says that uh, Blanche has more more colors than a Benjamin Moore paint, I believe. <laughs> yeah, <is>. yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So one of the things, if you're listening to us or watching us, you probably are noticing that we're not really talking about the plot lines too much uh, of no, the show. Not today. <laughs> so we're, like,
3: we're really honoring the show.
0: But like I think that the plot lines aren't really the main focus of this show. It's more about the jokes and the interaction amongst these amazing actresses. Sure, we talk about you know, um, Blanche goes to Joe Stone Crabs. What a great mention of a South Florida institution. <laughs> uh, she got the Stone Crabs. I hope that uh, someone also got a steak because it's great there. Uh, but you know, They're
3: friend of the pod, Joe Stone Crabs. For- Joes, if you
0: want to send me a box of stone crabs when it's in season... It would make this whole
3: podcast worth it.
0: Just (laughs) swipe into my DMs. They are open for Joes and only Joes. Uh, But as we go through, we just get a few small things. Blanche said yes to Harry, this guy that she met. They're going to get married tomorrow, I think is what ends up happening. And then what this small plot device allows is for the chaos of a wedding or a second marriage to ensue. And Max, like utilizing that, what were some of the things that you enjoyed about like seeing this day of wedding and seeing these characters sort of deal with the idea of, Oh shit, we're going to lose the house because Blanche owns it.
1: Yeah. I think it gives a everyone a chance to reveal something Personal about how this decision will affect them. This gives us a really lovely scene between Dorothy and Rose, where we learn about Dorothy's character and how she kind of had a spontaneous shotgun wedding, thir- you know, 38 years prior or so, and what that did for her life. We understand what it means, you know, if they don't have each other, and we get a little bit of exposition of how they came together. But it also just creates. You know what's the chaotic scenario that we can now put everyone in we've spent two acts establishing relationships and doing jokes and getting character background now we're gonna you know tease what they can do when they're all kind of firing on all cylinders Mm -hmm. and so it's not like a drawn-out plot like this really comes to a head in the last few minutes of the show and it just allows you to use everything you've built towards to just start like firing off jokes and hitting you like really quickly with uh like little plot devices and how we go through this. And I'm glad we didn't drag it out over the course of the entire episode.
0: For sure. Yeah. So let's fast forward through some things. Um, <laughs> Blanche is getting ready. Harry is not there yet. Instead of Harry, we get a police officer who informs us that Harry has many other wives across Many other states.
2: I have to shout out that police officer Mishak Taylor of Designing Women. Famous. Yes, yes. Yeah. Love, love Mishak Taylor.
3: Love. Oh man! I just, I, yeah. Also, like the fact that. <laughs> Bigamist is just like a thing that your sh- the police would what? show up to your door about. I like, yeah, so I love funny. I love that the
2: cop. That was one of the greatest moments. The cops like, I'm just here to wrap this up. Here you go, bigamy. Yeah, we arrested him for that. that
1: that's what I was saying. Like the, like, the little characters here, the cop yeah. who just shows up and it's like he's a hustler. Yeah. I'm sorry, and the, the reveal <laughs> of the minister needing like to wrap yeah. this up because he has right. to go you know, get a body in the ground. It just that, right. I I don't know that actor's name, but him getting up and just saying. You won't be needing me today. Is yeah. I yeah. want that one line. I want that one line yeah. part so bad for my career when I'm yeah. a little bit older.
3: <laughs> that, would be, that would be great on the IMDb.
2: <laughs> so it's so good.
0: This all leads to an interesting end of this pilot, with in which we sort of dive into the concept of mourning, right? Uh, and Blanche goes into the idea of how she is mourning she sort of just secludes herself weeks have gone by uh to our understanding i did really love the dorothy uh going through how everyone mourns right Mm -hmm. i i thought that was so wonderfully appropriate i do have a question uh for each of you of like How do you mourn? But we don't need to talk about that. We can talk about that after the pod. Well, that was Uh, my original question of the week. (laughs)
1: Let's all talk about loss.
3: (laughs) Oh, no, lost is in like two weeks.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But this show ends on such a lovely note of just these four women together on a patio with each other, knowing that they have each other to get through these later stages of life. And that really is our pilot Mm -hmm. um we talked about a lot of things that we loved about this show about this pilot of episode of tv but were there any things that we loved that we did not get to on today's Uh, episode
1: for me just two beats in the epilogue i love dorothy holding the mirror under sophia's nostrils to ensure that she's (laughs) breathing and then and then the payoff punchline of you never know when (laughs) um and just then the the final sophia line of the fancy man and i are going to the dog track i like when you add another dimension into a character at the very end to show like, oh no, she's just, she's not just, you know, the feeble old mom. She's also like this firecracker. And in few, it's like, says so to be honest, like in future episodes, these are the hijinks that Sophia's going to get into. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's a very piloty move, but I also just laughed out loud. I laughed so many times, like physically, audibly laughed out loud at this, show and I yeah. guess that's a thing that I love the way not get to mention I just laughed so freaking much watching yeah.
3: this that that was also uh that one line is also an exposition dump to prove that they're in Florida that they're taking them to the dog track
1: oh so the Simpsons
3: <laughs> takes place in Florida got it cool yeah,
1: great yeah.
0: <laughs> F-I. we, we cracked out. the code
1: <laughs> Celia
0: what about you any things that you loved about this pilot that we did not talk about today um
2: Well, there was one beat that I or one moment that I loved that we sort of talked about briefly, but I I didn't um, I didn't say anything, which is that moment, that chaotic moment, the wedding, just as Rose wants to tell Blanche that she has this hunch that Harry is garbage and the choreography of that whole scene as B. Arthur is trying to keep her quiet. And she's like doing this and the whole relationship that's happening between the two of them that Blanche does not pay attention to cuz she's in her own little world that was such a perfect that's why you hire these actresses that's why these actresses are in this they are comedic geniuses they're theater actresses they know how to do this they execute it perfectly it's brilliant it's a it's a moment that i had sort of you know forgotten about cuz i haven't watched this pilot in a really long time and i just was sort of marveling at how fucking precise and perfect. It was it was every beat of that whole yeah, scene.
3: I couldn't um, agree more.
2: And then I also just think that as I was, as you're talking about this pilot, it's interesting to talk about it with people who don't really know the series as well, because I think this pilot does exactly what it is supposed to do. It makes you want to spend a lot of time with these people. It gives you a basic plot so you have it. But the truth is we're just here to hang out with these women. And they do exactly that. They give you joke after joke after joke. They make you want to hang out with them. And then in the end, you have a kind of a lovely moment talking about something much bigger than this show. Aging, feeling alone. And I think that translates to all kinds of people. I don't think that has anything to do with age necessarily, the loneliness you feel. Yeah. And I think... That is what makes it resonate. And I think as you, I hope you all keep watching, <laughs> as you keep watching the show, you'll see that they really tackle some heavy conversations and the jokes are still perfect and tight. Yeah. Like the jokes are still rapid fire and nonstop. And I think, um, it, I, I guess I didn't even realize what a perfect pilot that was in terms of like, this is what you're going to get. This is what you're going to get for the next eight years. You're going to love it. Generations are going to be watching it, and I'm going to be a multimillionaire.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Rich, what about you?
3: Uh, I also absolutely love the physical comedy of that of that one scene in the bedroom of like of Blanche uh, showcasing her wedding dress and everything. Because I mean, like you said, Celia, they were. Uh, there's no way on earth people came in with the expectation of oh, we're going to have like an almost Three Stooges or Marx Brothers level of physical comedy in addition yeah. to. Just absolutely nailing every single joke, uh, like immediately, and I, I just really—I was so impressed with it. They—they they just like exceeded so many of my expectations of the show. And uh, I mean, yeah, it's—it's it's hard to not keep talking about how great this was.
0: Yeah, and and for myself, I think that this was such a refreshing show to see something that was that is an older tv show that is being led by just four amazing actresses and not pulling punches as we've been talking about just letting them go and letting there be amazing writing that they can use and we i I almost just want to summarize everything that you all have said right like this is just it's so well done but with that being said Any wait-a-minute moments uh, from this pilot that we need to discuss? Max, it looks like you have something on your mind.
1: Uh, Yeah, I do have one uh, bone to pick with uh, B. Arthur early on and her egregious slander of enchiladas rancheros. (laughs) (laughs) Where in response to that being made for supper, she says, just shoot me.
2: I'm gonna go ahead and posit that it's because she's older and cheese is backing up on her recently, and it's probably gonna be painful <laughs> later, and that it's not just shade on enchiladas. Why these all right. women all
0: need to be Jewish? That is that this is, is the thing.
2: We- if she'd just been like, "I'm I have Jewish stomach," <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs>
2: that's why I can't have enchiladas anymore. <laughs>
1: Oh god. Yes, <laughs> I needed that scene. I needed each of them to explain from a dietary standpoint That's why like, yeah, they, yeah. Did not, <laughs> not, they would not. Really <laughs> the yeah, everything <laughs>
0: that was wrong with each of them dietary <laughs> restrictions wise. As, a,
2: as an increasingly lactose intolerant Jewish person, <laughs> I've, increasingly. I've, I felt her on a cellular level. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Rich, what about you? Any wait a minute
3: moments for you? Oh God. Uh I, I really don't think so. Like I you know, I was starting to feel uh from the first like couple scenes that Ro- I was worried that Rose would be a little one dimensional with her just being kind of like the dum dum in the in the group. Um but I'm like I think she definitely pulled herself out of it and the fact that she actually was had like the I don't know the the prescience. I guess would understand that there was something weird about Harry, which I think probably I have to imagine this is just going to be we're we're the writers' room is just throwing a new male red flag into into this group of four women like with every episode, and that that I could see that coming. Like, uh, and I can't wait to watch more. Um, But yeah, that that's about it. I was like a little bit worried that she would be a little too one dimensional with the the playing the dumb person, but. She eventually pulled herself out of it, and uh, the direction I guess that Sophia goes after this, where she is a little bit less callous with the jokes and just like not just being the person where all the writers' room people can say like, well, what if we make fun of this group or nationality or or <laughs> or sexuality She has her share. I, her.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to say she has. She has her share. I mean, there yeah. are certainly <laughs> moments that I've where I've watched an episode and I'm like, wow, that wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a problem. <laughs> um, but then there are other moments where it's like, holy shit, that character really like, uh, is pretty spectacular. In yeah. Her I, I,
3: I just like, uh, I think this is one of the, uh, a show that I had like the fewest, especially for a show being this far in the past at this point, this far removed from PC internet culture and everything like that. Um, I think this has like the fewest amount of notes that I would have for a
0: script from this era. So it was honestly pretty impressive that they were able to pull that off. Celia, was there anything that, you know, rewatching this pilot gave you a second of like, oh yeah, this was made a while ago.
2: (laughs) I mean, I feel like the, uh, some of the cocaine jokes, I was like, "Mm, maybe let's don't paint Miami as like a coke addled city, but, uh, um, but it, it what i was actually kind of waiting for something really to to like be appalling and i didn't really nothing really hit uh more as a writer i was like wow this coco thing really is a mistake <laughs> like <it> just <laughs> you know coco, coco beyond is the wait a minute <laughs> yeah beyond the beyond the, the the sort of other conversation i was just like wow i was, that's a real bummer it's a real bummer as a writer cuz it's like ugh okay so that clearly didn't work but also as an actor man to be fired off a pilot that blows so i just mm. have a lot i feel for coco yeah. yeah but he he really was kind of an ancillary you so, know so it's less uh,
1: cocaine yeah. and less coco if i'm if i'm correct right <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah less coco let's less co-co.
3: Co-co. <laughs> i yeah. think there's also yes. an element too of like you don't want Coco adds like a layer of uh, uh, a feebleness I guess to uh to all of them as well like they oh they can't cook for themselves I'm like, and like Blanche is 51. one everyone else is like 62 63 I'm like they're fine they're, yeah. they got a handle on def-
2: that. Well and it was just such a I was I just never quite understood and and I wonder if maybe like Susan Harris also didn't really feel the coco thing and it was kind of a like well we got to have a guy in here um to to sort of I don't know. People don't want to watch women, I suppose. But like, but I wonder if um, she was also feeling this because there's not a lot of clear reason why he's there. I don't know why he is in the house. I don't know why he's yeah. hired. I don't know... It, it's not like he seems to do very much uh, yeah. for them in, in terms of relationships.
3: Does actually come from money? Is that like her backstory?
2: She does come from money. Okay. Yeah.
0: okay. Yeah, yeah. Like to your point, I even asked you at the beginning of the podcast, tell us more yeah. about Coco and you very <laughs> succinctly can't. put, we can't like, this is it. This is, this, it. is this is all we get. Um, I, I like to imagine what is the alternative universe where Coco exists through at least a full season. I uh, mean, what does that look like?
2: To be very honest, I would have really enjoyed the the Blanche Coco vibes, like yes. hanging out in Miami, dating in Miami. Oh, like, hell yeah. That would have been very fun to watch. Um, um, but that's a different show.
4: Yeah.
0: Yeah. My only wait a minute moment that I'm going to actually already redact is Blanche has a great line that is, we are going to New York for the honeymoon. I hope we don't get murdered. Uh, (laughs) But that also perfectly fits Blanche. So I have to take that away as like the Southern uh, woman that she presents herself as. <laughs> also, what a terrible honeymoon destination. I'm so sorry.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's so, it's, God, there's so much walk you have to do, so. right, New York is exhausting. <laughs>
0: We're, they're staying in a hotel in Times Square.
1: That is what their honeymoon. Is.
2: That is my nightmare.
1: <laughs> yeah, Ed really of and Todd really catching some strays of the old girl's pilot <laughs> <tell> belt. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. The cocaine um, 80s and murderous Times Square are really, uh, <laughs> really not a, really
0: not doing well after this. So we do have an in-flight question. In-flight questions are brought to us by um, folks who listen to our podcast either through DMs or through voicemails um today's in flight question is very simple which of these golden girls do you think you are the most like um celia since you are our expert on this show which i'm only going to let you choose one which of these golden girls do you think you are the most like
2: i want to be a blanche but i'm probably a dorothy
0: <laughs> that's that, Dorothy solid. If you told me I was a lot like B Arthur, I'd be like hell yeah. I'll take that to the grave.
2: Queen of the Slow Burn. Mm. Uh, Dorothy later in some episode sometime appears on Jeopardy and I and I feel like and she gets like way intense about it and I feel like that's like really who I am at my core. That,
0: that's amazing.
3: <laughs> Rich, what about you? Um, I'm definitely a Rose. I have learned, I learned that from the first three minutes of the show. Um, (laughs) and and then, uh, I wish I was more of a Sophia though. Sophia just looks like she's going to get herself at some hijinks and, you know, kind of shoots from the hip a lot, which, uh, I wish I just had a little bit more of, uh, so I am, uh, was it, uh, Sophia rising (laughs) (laughs) yeah. And Rose son.
2: Sure.
1: Yeah. Max, what about you? I mean, although we don't see much of this person, I've got to be a Coco. I love making Mexican food and gambling. Um, you do love that here, I do. Yeah. Um, if, if we're keeping it to our main group, though, yeah, I I definitely have my Rose moments. I, I can't fault it, you know. Yeah,
3: I I told Rosie in our Sex in the City episode that I got a hot dog cart for my BuzzFeed quiz answer. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And I am the city of Miami. No, in all
3: seriousness. (laughs) Uh,
0: In all seriousness, I would have to say that I am probably a Blanche, in all honesty. The hopeless romantic uh, definitely is something that I associate myself with as a whole. Well, thank you for that in flight question. Uh, We'll talk a little bit more about submitting those as well as suggestions for the show. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the legacy of this, because this is one of the most fun times I've ever had, compiling a legacy of a show. This show had seven seasons and 180 episodes. All of them were on NBC. This show, at its peak, was the number four show in the country mm. of anything. Uh, it was, And that was only in its third season. The best ratings I could find, as far as average viewers, was in season four. Uh, the first three seasons was not available. This is our best viewed show, at thirty three point one million viewers per episode. Wow! What makes that even more insane was that made it only the number six episode, number six TV show in season four. God, our and watching so the even TV. the even more insane part was this show premiered on NBC's at eight o'clock at night which is just I, on Saturdays, excuse me, there's the, in, there's the interesting part. It's just such a wildly different landscape than what we live in today, where if you got a pilot sold to NBC and they said, Hey, you're Saturday at 8 PM slot. You have a three episode pilot or show <laughs> at max. Um, this is really just, it's a universally acclaimed show, Uh, The Writers Guild of America called it one of the top 101 written TV series. Uh, TV Guide called it one of the top 60 very similar uh, echelons of credentials right there. Um, Supposedly, this is one of my favorite facts ever. During the 1988 Royal Variety show, uh, Queen Elizabeth was such a large fan of this show that she invited the four main actresses to the Royal Variety to perform skits for her uh, of scenes of the show, oh, cool. which is bonkers. As far as nominations go, there were 122 nominations for the show, 37 wins. That includes 11 Emmy wins. There was actually each of the leading actresses won an Emmy for wow. the show. Uh, there were 68 nominations for Emmys, 21 Golden Globe noms with four wins. Um, And let's just talk about syndication. It started reruns in 1989, replacing Wheel of Fortune when that left NBC. Uh, You know, how comical that we're filming this the week that Pat Sajak is no longer going to be on the Wheel of Fortune. Um, With that being said, uh, it's gone to Lifetime, Hallmark, WETV. We watched it on Hulu. Hulu. Rich watched it on a Ukrainian black website uh, because he refuses to watch anything on the actual website that it is on. Uh, There was a film, uh, and by film, I mean Fathom Events had a special event where they showed five episodes on big screens across the country, which is so cool. Uh, All of the seasons are available on DVD. Also amazing. As far as spinoffs, Three different major spinoffs of the show. I don't want to talk about them because we're probably going to do them on this show, in all (laughs) honesty. But there were multiple international versions of the show that existed because of the popularity of it. Because it was syndicated in other countries. And, you know, it's nice to have representation on screen for the storylines that you love. So Chile, Egypt, Greece, Israel, Netherlands, Philippines, Russia, Spain, Portugal, Turkey, and the U.S. K oh, as Yeah, well. you're still
1: Todd. You could still get your Polish Sophia. <laughs> <And> so <laughs>
0: yeah. I'm going to Poland. I'm taking a flight right now. <laughs> There's nothing going on there right now. Oh. Um, there was also, I will say, there was a Golden Girls themed restaurant that was partially owned by Rue McClanahan. Uh, that closed unfortunately in 2022. Um, but that is the legacy of this show. And I'm slightly out of breath. Wait, oh can I just
2: share one piece of trivia that I love oh, oh, yeah. about this show? So I had heard this story, but I wasn't sure if it was apocryphal. And then I talked to this man who ran the show and he confirmed that it's true, which is that originally um, Rue McClanahan and Betty White were cast in opposite roles.
4: What? Oh. Yeah.
2: And they both were kind of like, Um, we've done this before because they had been on Mary Tyler Moore and they had been on Maude and Mama's Family and sort of played like Rue McClanahan had always played the sort of Rose vibe role and Betty White had always played the Blanche role. And so they ended up switching roles after they'd already been cast. And I just love that story so much because again, like you, I cannot imagine them playing different Mm -hmm. roles than they do. And yet, you know that was how it was originally. Oh, that's so fun! I, so love I just thought I would much. share that piece of trivia.
3: I've got a couple more pieces of trivia for everybody. Uh, we're we got a, a short little game of the week, but I wanted to. I guess we'll go around the group for this. Okay, um, Max, so you're not going to get that question because you can see the answer. All right, <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, Max. What movie was partially uh, was partially credited? or partially funded with acting residuals from Golden Girls? Was it Heathers, Casino, Dirty Dancing, or Reservoir Dogs?
1: Oh. um,
3: And they all came out around the same time. I
1: wanted yeah. to make sure that that was... I, I was just about to ask. <laughs> I am going to go with reservoir dogs that feels like the most like we had to scrap together some money to get this thing made on that list
3: uh you are correct quentin tarantino while uh producing reservoir dogs used a 600 hundred dollar residual check from playing an elvis impersonator on golden girls to make the movie (laughs) that's
0: amazing oh my goodness uh what
3: okay jeff um george okay uh did George Clooney appear as a guest actor on Golden Girls before or after his start on ER?
4: Before?
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, it was before. It actually, uh, Golden Girls, it was a trick question. Golden Girls ended before ER started. All right. Yeah, so- I was about to say,
0: <laughs> I, you were, I was doing like flips in my head being like, there's no way ER started after. Yeah. <laughs> like- Um, Okay,
3: Celia, this one's for you. Uh, Which one of the cast members served in the military and what branch?
2: B. Arthur. She was a Marine.
3: Yeah, hell yeah. Oh, my God. B. Arthur (laughs) served as a typist and truck driver in the Marines during World War II. Uh, And I'll do the last one for Jeff, because you you can see the least of this. All right. Uh, This show, obviously, was a... It was kind of like a who's who of writing rooms, like everyone nearly came out of this show with a crazy job or like a development deal or you know start working on movies immediately. um so which of okay, so former former golden Girls writing staff members have been part of the creation of all but what project? two and a half men, Van Wilder two rise of Taj, <laughs> Terminator
0: two. And Arrested Development. I want one of these to not be included (laughs) so badly. (laughs) Um, I'm going to say Terminator 2 is
3: the one (laughs) that... This Terminator 2, I realize that's the only not-comedy in the list.
4: Yeah, that
1: would be be whips ass, though. We
3: (laughs) We gotta give it its credit. Yeah, if anything, we're a big
0: Terminator 2 fan podcast. Um, But I do love our future billionaire daddy, uh, Ryan Reynolds, very much on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
3: as as Ryan Reynolds continues to buy everything around us, we will eventually be a Ryan Reynolds-owned podcast.
0: Oh my god. Well, Rich, thank you so much for your Game of the Week. Um, There's just two more questions for each of you that I have. And one, very simple. Would you continue, based off of this pilot, watching the Golden Girls? But the second is, I think, a little bit more something that is realistic. Do you think that this show should come back in an updated version? Maybe just take the pilot, throw in new actresses, and refilm it? If so, I'd love to hear. But Max, I'd love to hear from you first. Would you continue watching the show?
1: Oh, yes to keep watching it in Sharpie. That's such an easy decision. I had belly laughs watching this. It is... Just truly a joke machine and in a modern landscape dominated by serialized kind of funny shows or comedies that have maybe one funny person in them. Just what a breath of fresh air to just be bombarded with this ensemble that's Mm -hmm. just joke after joke after joke. It's remarkable in that way. To your second question, no. Mm. um I'm I'm a hard no and the reason for that is that I don't think we should limit ourselves to just trying to rehatch the Golden Girls I mean that's the easy way out I think it's the cop-out way to do it I think that there should be a challenge and a pressure and a bar raised to make new shows and new stories that feature actors of these demographics of these ages telling stories that are unique to them and their experiences we should find leading roles for this kind of talent we shouldn't limit them to just you know the the moms and the sidekicks and you know throwaway comic relief and to just do golden girls again it's only going to put it in comparison to this show whereas i i think there's so many ideas left unsaid left untold that we we should fight to get onto tv yeah Rich, what about you?
3: Wow, I couldn't have said that better myself, uh, but I'm going to try. Um, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and here I go. Uh, no, I, I, 100%, uh, this is one of the hardest shows that we've done to not immediately hit next episode on, uh, on my Ukrainian black site website. Um, it's very hard to click yeah, on that website. It, That's- <laughs> <laughs> so many pop-up windows. <laughs> uh yeah I 100% would watch uh the second episode of this I'm probably going to binge the hell out of this show um if if we're talking about whether or not it can be made today or like whether or not it's going to be rebooted or anything like that uh I mean like Max said I don't want another Golden Girls however do I think it's gonna happen? Yeah, I absolutely 100% think it's gonna happen. I now that all of the cast members have sadly passed away, I don't think there's enough holding back a studio from doing this. However, we are finally seeing like a kind of a tapering off of uh, of um, you know spin-offs and, and reboots and stuff like that because I think people are finally like not into it enough anymore. like it's not the kind of the nostalgia factors worn off a bit. So do I think it's still going to happen? 100%. Do I want it to happen specifically with the Golden Girls like franchise? No. Uh, I would love to see some like new stories that would that would come about for this, but I still want like extremely joke-dense material like this. That's never going away. I
0: want that all the time. Celia, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh,
2: I mean, I'm definitely going to do a rewatch now that I've started. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, um, that's, that's the, why we're here. Yeah, that's the plan. Uh, it's to get people to watch Bones I mean, for
3: 3 seasons. Huh? <laughs> it's, to, it's to get people to watch Bones for 3 exactly.
2: seasons. Exactly. <laughs> oh Jesus. Um, I have a friend who's a writer on Bones. Keep watching. keep give her going. the money. Yeah. Um, uh I agree with Max. I think this show was lightning in a bottle. The the magic of these women cannot be repeated. Mm-hmm. The magic of the show cannot be repeated. I do think like shows have tried to do some version of it. And like, you know, they're not not successful. But I just think a reboot of this show, it, 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 it there's no way to top this. Yeah, I do agree that we need more stories of people who are older living their lives um, in a more truthful way. I think we do need to see those stories. And I think uh, I think there's space for that. I think it just takes some brave executives to say yes.
0: That's awesome. Um, so I will make this four yeses as far as <laughs> continuing to watch this show. Um, I, Max, you said it so well about not rehashing something that's already been successful. Um, do I think that TV executives uh, will listen to us on this podcast. I, one, I thank you for the listen. I really appreciate it. But two... Um, thank, you, thank you for listening.
1: From beyond. <laughs> I,
0: oh, my God. Um, I think that there is a possibility that there's going to be an executive that says, let's not redo every single Golden Girls episode. Let's do one and have some big-name actresses mm-hmm. come in to fill their shoes. Sort of like what we've seen CBS and ABC doing recently with stuff like The Wonder Years and um, The Odd Couple and stuff like that. I thought you were going to that... say
1: and make it a movie and call it 80 for Brady. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's funny you bring up Jane Fonda because literally I'm thinking about the stories that I am seeing and some of the roles that I am seeing older actresses play like Gracie and Frankie just ended, right? And that was a... I think that's the closest we have gotten to the Golden Girls vibe Mm -hmm. without just calling it the Golden Girls, uh, also featuring Sam Watterson, right? Like, that's that's sort of what that show is. Um, But, yeah, I want to see more actresses who are established and towards the end of their careers just kicking ass, like... Helen Mirren oh, and okay. Fast and the <laughs> Furious every single time. Every single I will just yeah. watch Helen Mirren and Fast and the Furious. Fuck Vin Diesel. Just give me two hours of Helen Mirren and a McLaren. Oh, I miss her um, entirely. Wait, wait, does Helen Mirren fuck <laughs> Vin
2: Diesel? <laughs> That's what yes. I really
0: heard. Yes, they they do. They, wait, they, really? they like they get so close to having sex every single movie really? that it's like, I I this is not a movie podcast, but go and watch Fast and the Furious and tried to tell me that they don't have sexual chemistry. Well, now because, I'm going to watch. Yeah, no. All I
2: want is for Helen Mirren and Vin Diesel.
0: That's incredible. All right. <laughs> it's, it's like they, they are, it's they like are so wants. close to doing it that like now it's all I want. Uh, with that being said, though, our plane is coming to a land. Wow. But it looks like we are getting a call from inside of our plane. Hey, um, I know some podcasts don't appreciate recommendations, so if that is the
4: case, please feel free to
0: ignore this. <laughs> yeah, um, but I really enjoyed the podcast, and I was wondering if you'd like to take another visit to another Shonda Land or Shonda Rhimes property. If so, I highly recommend Scandal. Yeah. It's a fun show, very engaging a pilot. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed the show. I hope you guys are doing well. My name is Sydney, and yeah, I'm really enjoying watching. Thank you. That's awesome. Well, boys, I think we're going to Shondaland uh, on our next flight and going to be talking yeah. about Scandal. Parking is so expensive. I Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, we'll see you all next week in Shondaland. But before we depart, since our plane has landed, um, I think everyone would like to know where we can find you all. Celia, first of all, thank you so much for yeah. joining us on this podcast. It was such a delight to have you. Where can thank folks you. find you if they want to get a little bit more?
2: Uh, really just, um, Instagram, I'm off of all social media for my mental health, except Instagram. Um, speaking of Shondaland, uh, I worked on a show called for the people. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a former resident of Shondaland and, um, you can check that out if you'd like to watch a fun procedural that's not been off the air for a minute, but it was a good time. Um, and otherwise, uh, man, support labor, support workers, Uh, if you'd like to help people affected by the strike, please make a donation to the Entertainment Community Fund if you have it. That's it.
0: And we will make sure to have that link uh, in the description of this podcast as well as underneath uh, our YouTube so that folks can click and contribute.
2: That would be great. I want to say that's for people who aren't WGA. That's for people who can't access the WGA Strike Fund, but for Mm -hmm. workers who are being affected by the work stoppage and um, need some assistance with rent, groceries bills etc
3: absolutely so they keep making our favorite shows that we'll all talk about (laughs) in in 9 podcast episodes (laughs) (laughs) it's true rich what about you where can we find you you can find me eating uh enchiladas rancheros in 112 degree humid heat in miami uh and
1: also on instagram (laughs) at damn that's rich max uh, you can find me at Joe's Stonecrab. I just put our name down for a table of four. If y'all can meet me there soon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can find me on all things social media at Maxwell Singh.
0: And you can find me trying to explain to the drug enforcement agency that, yeah, I am under 80 and I did live in Miami, but that's not my job. Uh, you can also find me at Run Jeff Run <laughs> on Instagram and Twitter. You can find the TV Pilots License on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, as well as anywhere you listen to podcasts at TV Pilots License. If you have a question about the show or for our next episode, make sure to be watching Scandal. You can email us at tvpilotslicense@gmail.com at gmail.com or give us a call at 213-290-1713. Make sure to watch out for our Instagram for our sneak previews of some of our upcoming episodes as well as where we take questions. But with the plane landed and the seatbelt signed off, we look forward to flying the bright skies of the TV world with you again soon. And until then, thank you for being a friend.
1: And if you threw a party, if it new...
3: Support labor, Jeff. Support your local cocaine smuggler. <laughs> <laughs>